The book of Micah, starting in chapter 4, you'll remember that in the last episode that we did, the Micah was mostly preaching uh, judgment. He was showing the people the, their sin and showing the judgment that was going to come upon him. And now he shifts, to, and he'll get back to that a little bit, but right now, in this part, he shifts to the blessing of the kingdom of God and God's plan for mankind in the last days. And so this is very pertinent to us in our day, and Micah talked about it. And um, So he, he starts out, And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. So he's saying uh, this mountain of the Lord, it's, it's talking about coming up from our fallen ways up into the ways of God. And, he, and he's not just talking about Israel, because remember, he, you know, the, the prophets... All the people of God, because Moses was very clear that they were not to associate with the people around them, the Canaanites, because they had many terrible, evil, fallen ways, and that they were stay pure to God's ways. And so, you know, the prophets were always railing against the people, taking on the ways of the other nations. But here we see something different. We see all the nations coming to the people of God. And so... It was not, this was not just for the Jews or for the Israelites, but for all the people of the world. And the people say, we want to go up the mountain of the Lord and the house of the Lord of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways. We saw this in Daniel, that the wise would teach many. This is a similar thing here, that we may walk in his path. So it's not just about taking on a new religion. It's about learning God's ways, and not just intellectual learning. It's about walking in his paths. It's about living in this new way, this new culture. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So you remember Revelation talks about this this new Jerusalem, this this idea that God's city, God, all the ideas that are shown through the people Israel in the natural, the city of Jerusalem, the temple of God, uh, Mount Zion, are now transformed into spiritual realities that are held within and throughout his people. And so, you know, that's, I don't know if Micah understood that, but the New Testament makes that very clear and that that should be our understanding as well. Now, God has typically honored uh, the land, Israel, and, you know, when Jesus finally returns in bodily form, he has to come somewhere, so I would assume that's where he's going to come. I mean, I think the Bible is pretty clear about that. But as far as the spiritual reality of this thing affecting all the world, this is a spiritual reality within his people. And so from within his people will go forth the law even the word of the Lord from within his people, and he will judge between many people and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares. So before it had been a time of fighting 
and now we see a time of of blessing and and uh you know what's the word when you're when you're farming and you got a crop here um harvesting that's the word and their spears into pruning hooks nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree we just saw this vine and fig tree i think in the last book we read and so again we see a time of peace we see now this i would assume would speak to jesus's thousand year reign when the 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 you know kingdom of darkness is locked up if it's if it's outward it but these things begin inwardly so these things should begin in us that the more we climb this holy mountain the more this reality takes root in us where we are filled with peace we are no longer a part of the strife of the world and never again will they train for war each of them will sit under his vine and his fig tree with no one to make them afraid for the mouth of the lord of hosts has spoken though all the peoples walk each in the name of his god for us we will walk in the name of the lord our god forever and ever so he says these are a separated people these are each many people have their own gods in this world their own little idols but we are a separated people that walk in the lord for the lord through the lord though all the people walk each in the name of his god as for us we will walk in the name of the lord our god forever and ever in that day declares the lord i will assemble the lame and gather the outcast even those whom i have afflicted so he's taking you know those who have been hurt those are he's not taking the high and mighty he's he's taking those who've gone through great difficulty he's not that he's leaving anyone out but he's this is kind of iconoclastic he's uh, in, in that day, they would assume, and, and still today, most people assume, I think, that it's the rich and powerful that that get taken. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think necessarily Christians think this way, but um, this is often what people think. But he says, I'll take the lame and the outcast, those who, who haven't fit in, those who, and especially, since we've talked about this a lot, those who have not fit into their denominations or, or whatever. It seemed that the, the fullness of the Lord is not here. And then this one especially, even those whom I have afflicted, if we're walking with the Lord, he takes us through difficulties. And those difficulties should be a training up, a discipling so that we can be raised up, removed from the ways of the world that we were afflicted with before. So that now we are only afflicted by the Lord, and He afflicts us for our good, so that we are pure and holy unto Him. 7. And I will make the lame a remnant. So this remnant we keep talking about, He says, I will make, I will take from each of these people, I will make a remnant. And the outcasts a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. So here's His people, here's His kingdom. As for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come, even to the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So we see here the, the daughter, which, which of course becomes the bride, being restored. 
We see a healing happening here. We see kingship being bestowed. We are called to be kings and priests under the order of Melchizedek. So he's starting out by saying how wonderful this will be for the woman. But then he says, now why do you cry out so loudly? So if we see that early remnant as the man-child in Revelation 12, and then we see what is the woman doing who is in the early part of Revelation 12, then we see what's going on with the woman. He's telling about the blessing of the woman, but then he says in 9, Now why do you cry out loudly? Is there no king among you? Or has your counselor perished? The agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. So here's that childbirth. And she's in, she's in agony, right? She's the difficulty we see in Revelation 12 for the woman. She's in difficulty. She's writhing and laboring to give birth. Daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. For now you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. So it's the exact same picture as Revelation 12. And she's going through difficulty. Remember we just talked about you have to be, you have to go through this in order to break free of the fallen ways of man, of the sinful nature of the world, of our own flesh that we've been born into. We have to die to these things in order to be raised up as a new spiritual man in Christ. And so we see this, this woman going through this process. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. And now many nations have been assembled against you who say, Let her be polluted and let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord and they do not understand his purpose. For he has gathered them like sheaths to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, daughter of Zion. For your horn I will make iron and your hoofs I will make bronze that you may pulverize many peoples, that you may devote to the Lord their unjust gain and their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. He's, he's, kind of, he's talking about an epic battle here where now he's raising up his people and the, the, the kingdom of darkness is coming in viciousness, but now the Lord is in his people. He now has a purified people and they're arising and threshing and he is overcoming through them because... Now he, they are completely his. There's, there's no evil to slow them down anymore. And he is overcoming the world through them. And I think I mentioned it uh, yesterday, but just to mention again, the beginning of Micah 4 is, is uh, almost identical to Isaiah 2 in the beginning. So that might be an interesting thing to check out. And then we're on to Micah 5. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us with a rod. They will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. So you see the the difficulties continuing. My recorder, I've, as usual, I have things going on in between <laughs> these. Particularly today, I'm watering, so I just took a huge break and then came back and. Uh, my recorder looks different than normal, but it appears to still be recording, so I think I'm okay. Sorry about that. And then we shift to see uh, Jesus. And so it's first in the natural, then in the spiritual. That's a, you know, a, a principle we see in Scripture elsewhere, and we're going to see that here. Where first this has to come through Jesus, because he's the way and the truth and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through him. So first, you're going to see this born out in a natural man, Jesus, who has the fullness of God within him. 
But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. So you remember when um, Herod asked all his wise men, or, or when the three, well, it wasn't, it might have been three. <laughs> Uh, the scripture doesn't say it's three. Traditionally, we think of three wise men coming from the east after Jesus' birth, and then they come to Jerusalem, and they ask where he is. And so Herod asked his counselors, his uh, priests, to look into this matter. Where is a Messiah supposed to be born? And they say in Bethlehem. Well, this is what they were referring to. Micah is pretty clear. Uh, as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. So this is the Messiah, very clearly said, will be will come from Bethlehem. And this is why they knew that that's where he was, and that's why that's where he was. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Remember how Jesus would mystify and really anger the Pharisees because he would say, you know, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> he, well, th this is the same concept. He was born as a man, so he was a young man. They would say, you know, how, was it Abraham or David they were talking about? You don't know him, you're, you're young. And he would say, um, I, again, I, I just I remember these snippets. I don't know if they all went together. But basically the same kind of concept, before Abraham was, I am. It's the same concept here. He's here, he's just born, but from you will, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. He's going forth from long ago, from the days of eternity. So he comes from eternity. We know he was slain before time began, before the, before the creation. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. So what this means is that the, the people suffer, you know, devastation. They suffer difficulties. They're abandoned, or they feel abandoned. But then we see the spiritual birth of the man-child that we were just talking about. So now here's the spiritual reality of Jesus being born again in many sons. So we have Jesus was born in the flesh. He lived his life. He came. He died for us. And then Israel was, was given away, was abandoned. There, there was a, a time gone. But then we see uh, she who is in labor has born a child. And then the remainder of his brethren, the many sons of God that, that Jesus came to raise up, um, that God has always intended to raise up, the remainder of his brethren, the brothers of Christ, the many sons of God will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. So, what we see here is Jesus reigning in his kingdom. So that starts within these many raised up sons, and comes to full culmination uh, with his bodily return and the, the fullness of, of uh, you know, the fullness of the enemy being locked away. And the, the, that, 
that's the fullness of the kingdom reign because there's no enemy, there's no battle anymore. Uh, even though there will be a final battle after that, and that's a bit confusing. But uh, that's <laughs> that's down the road, so I'm not worried about that. Um, in in the meantime, though, there is him him being raised up in a people who give themselves so completely to him that he purges every bit of worldliness, fleshliness, so that he fills each of us with all of himself, so that we walk just as Christ walked, completely led by him. Five, this one will be our peace when the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples on our citadels, then we will raise against him. So during this transitional time, and I, and I don't know, I mean, some people think this is only going to be 10 or 20 years. Um, it, it could be way longer than that. I have no idea. Um, but there's a transitional time. And it's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. The forces of darkness do not want this reality to come forth. And they are battling with everything they have against us. But the Lord uses their battle against us. There's slings and arrows against us to strengthen us and teaching us. So even though we have minor setbacks, which we will, when you're learning new things in the spirit, they're new things. Anytime, if you're teaching a child new things, they constantly mess up. But don't get discouraged. Just see, oh, you know, I have to tell my kids this all the time when they're learning something. Hey, you made a mistake. That's okay. It's just now you know what not to do next time and you, you learn and you grow. It, as long as you keep moving forward, it's perfectly fine and it's perfectly normal to make a mistake. The same time, thing is with us in the Spirit. If our intention is to live for the Lord and we continue to seek Him, then we will make mistakes. But every mistake is just a way that He can further refine us, further teach us. And He is raising us up like His very own child to be made perfect as He is perfect so that we are ready for the next thing he has for us. And we will always be ready for the next thing he has for us because he has everything in the palm of his hand. And that is his intention for us. Five says, this one will be our peace. Then the Assyrians invade our land when he tramples on our citadels. Then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. They will shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod at its entrances. So he's saying that in this battle, the, the darkness will come against us, but he will continue to raise people up so that we will overcome and take over their territory. Um, you know, their, their territory has been for throughout time since Adam handed the keys over the second heaven, these, these uh, heavenly thrones and powers, and we are to take them over. When he attacks our land and when he tramples our territory, then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples. So then what happens? The, the people of God overcome and they're among many peoples like dew from the Lord. So what is the dew? The dew is what happens on a new day. So he's talking about a new day, a new living reality given to the world like showers on vegetation which do not wait for man or delay for the sons of men. So his risen people offering a new life and a new way for the people of the world. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of the sheep. 
which, if he passes through, tramples down and tears, and there is none to rescue. So he says his people, this remnant, is like a lion in the forest. Who can take on the lion? No no animal. Every animal would, <laughs> would get out of the lion's way, right? Because if they tried to touch him, he'd trample and tear them down. Um, so his remnant people, these same outcasts, these lame, that he's made a strong remnant, now nothing can stand against him. Your hand will be lifted up against your adversaries, and all your enemies will be cut off. It will be in that day, declares the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots. I will also cut off the cities of your land and tear down all your fortifications. So he says he's, he's breaking down the, uh, the kingdom of darkness. They have, remember when Jesus talked about, um, they said, oh, he's casting out demons by the spirit of Beelzebub or something like that. And he says, no nation can stand like that if a nation's against itself. Well, here he's talking about the, the architecture of the kingdom of darkness because they very much have an architecture. They have powers, authorities, uh, you know, the low-level demons. They have, they have all these things, all, all this structure. And here it's talking about cutting it down so that they become uh, less and less potent. And then it, it gets down even to the personal level, because unfortunately we, uh, we, we as people deal in witchcraft all the time. And so you have your, you know, your witches, like you might think of a uh, Halloween type witch. And, and, you know, those exist, but there's much more witchcraft in people that we would never consider witchcraft when we try to manipulate others by... I mean, we use spirits. We're aligned with spirits when we do this sort of thing, but we don't know it. And um, we just, we're just kind of living life unaware of the spiritual realities that we're in. And so there's witchcraft going on in people all the time. And so he says, I will, let's see, where did he start? I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you will have fortune tellers no more. I will cut off carved images. So... Once, as he's disabling, or as we are disabling, but just both, right? He's the one that does it. We are completely, it's impossible for us to do these things without the Spirit of Christ in us. But when he raises up his people, and he's raising up this little remnant people throughout the world. So, you know, he, us listening, we're, we're a part <laughs> uh, called to this. There's others that have no idea who we are, and we have no idea who they are that are called to this. He's doing this throughout the world. And he's raising up his remnant people to take over this territory in the heavenlies, to be filled with him and to gain new understanding, new power and authority because we've taken on his character. We've gone through the fire and the disciplining to be removed from the ways of the world and to be removed from the ways of even our own flesh and our own family history, our own former life. We've died to that life and taken on his nature so that he can lead us to take on these, uh, these, you know, spiritual thrones, these spiritual positions of power to, to cut off the work of the enemy, these thrones, powers, principalities, authorities, so that then the people that have been connected to these things all of a sudden are they probably feel very vulnerable because things that they're they've depended on all of a sudden are crumbling around them and they're scared and they're, but all of a sudden 
we are able to come in and be a help because these things are being cut off from people and all of a sudden they're scared and confused and all of a sudden they're looking for a people that are light and some people will run from the light some people love the darkness but some people will say wow that is the true way that is the way i've always wanted and so he says, I will cut off your carved images and your sacred pillars from among you so that you will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will root out your ashram from among you and destroy your cities and I will execute vengeance and anger and wrath on the nations which have not obeyed. So he's cutting off all the evil ways, all the ways that we worship the world and the kingdom of darkness instead of worshiping the Lord. He will cut these things off and there is judgment against all those ways. So there becomes a clear right and wrong. And it becomes, I don't know that they will see it as wrong because I don't think most people knowingly choose wrong, but their hearts choose wrong. They choose darkness over light. And he, will, he promises utter destruction against those ways. But through this process... The offer of light and peace and joy is offered to everyone, and they see it more clearly because the darkness is so evident. And then we're on to chapter 6. So God has just laid out this incredible, beautiful promise through Micah. But now Micah turns back to his people and says, you know, how have you turned against me? How have you been brought so low? Because remember, he, I, just, I just went on a, a, a long talk about the incredible blessing that is offered in our time. This is what the Lord's doing in our time. That's, Mark, that's what Micah 4 and 5 is all about. Um, and I don't know how long that time will last, as I said, but it is it is begun. And Micah told that to the people then, to lay out the promise of God before the people. But then he turns to them and says, How have you, how, how have you turned so far against me? that I have to bring this judgment against you. He says, listen, you mountains, which is, you know, the, all the high places, all, all the things that they hold dear and special, and you enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people. With e Even with Israel, he will dispute. So he has, to, he has to judge his own people. My people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. And from Shittim to Gilgal, so that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. So he's reminding his people, look, you were slaves. I brought you into freedom I made you a nation, and even when this other kingdom came against you, uh, they wanted to crush you, but I, I stopped them. He said, but if you remember what uh, Balaam answered him, he taught them to mix. His, his answer to Balak was to, to mix in, to intermarry, to make them um, mix with the ways of the world so that they would not be a pure people but they would mix with the Canaanites, which is exactly what God said not to do. He said, don't mix in with the worldly ways. Stay a pure people unto my way. And then this is a really cool part uh, where he talks about what does God require of man? That's the title on NASB. 
So, what do we do, God? I know I'm I'm falling. I'm I, I fall so far short of you. I fall so far short of Jesus. What do I? What do I? What am I supposed to do? It's starting in six. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to Him with burnt offerings, with yearly calves? So this this is a, talking about the law of Moses, right? God said to worship Him by bringing these offerings. So so the person here is saying, shall I bring these things to you? And then the response is, does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? So this is a massive amount of offerings, right? That no one could actually afford to give. He's saying, even if you were to give me that much, what do I care about these things? This is maybe easy for us to understand now, but this is mind blowing to them then because they had done this their whole lives and God had prescribed to Moses that this was the way that they should worship him. But it was not in order to, because God cared about the animals or the oil. God, you know, and, and who I'm, I don't mean to say that these are the full reasons, but a couple reasons why he set those up. For one, it's sacrificial to give. So it is... Um, it's a very important part to take from what is mine in the flesh, in the natural, in the worldly, and give it to God to be burned up. That is a that act is reverential, right? It's showing trust in God. And also, when when the animal slaughtered, uh, the blood represents the blood of Jesus, so that's important as well. But God's saying the actual thing—it it means nothing to me. I'm God. I've created everything. What, you know, I don't need the thing. It's it's the heart that I care about. And then he goes on, shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? So I don't know. Let me check. So I think with seven, uh, in the, the latter part, the sacrifice of my firstborn, I think this talks about in those days, people would actually sacrifice their sons um, we see this today with abortion as well, but, um, um, but the, you know, of course God did do this for us, right? He did sacrifice his firstborn in the spirit, Jesus for us. Um, but he's saying, but you know, he's, he's, I think directly talking about would this help God, if I actually sacrificed my son to Moloch, um, and, and he's saying, no, a, he has told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So he's saying the way of the Lord is to be just, to be kind, and to walk with your God. And that's the key part. Because the the worldly way can can make us think, oh, I can... Everyone thinks they're just and kind, right? Maybe not everyone, but a lot of people, a lot of worldly people think that. But are they walking humbly, humbling themselves before the Lord and walking with Him? This is, are we doing that? Are you doing that? Am I doing that? I don't always do that. I need to walk humbly with the Lord my God in everything that I do. The voice of the Lord will call to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. So this is said many places in Scripture. Here it's said a little differently, but it's the same exact thing. Uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? It is sound wisdom to fear your name. So, y- you want wisdom? Fear the Lord. 
You should be afraid of nothing else, but you should absolutely be afraid of the Lord. And this involves worship. This involves the living reality that going any way but his way is absolutely scary. That we should not go any, like we should be filled I don't know what's the scariest thing you can imagine, standing on a ledge of a 10,000 foot cliff and looking over and just feeling the wind blowing and thinking, what if I fall? That should be how we feel when we think about doing anything other than living the way of the Lord, his righteousness, his justice, his living way. It says, hear, O tribe, who has appointed its time? He's saying, listen, people. The, the time has come. Are you ready for this? Do you know when the time is? You're supposed, Jesus said to be ready. He said, you never know the time of the hour. Be ready. The time has come. And then he talks about the ways of the wicked. In verse 10, he goes on uh, talking about all, all sorts of wickedness, deceptive scales, cheating people. The rich and the violent, the, the rich are full of violence. The residents speak lies, uh, deceit sick, striking down, desolate because of your sins. He said, you know, the disaster is coming upon you because of your sins. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. And your vileness will be in your midst. And you will try to remove safekeeping. He's talking about a day coming when you get your just desserts, as, as the phrase goes. In other words, um, we as a people have been living for ourselves and for a time God allowed it in order for, you know, for many to be saved and for many to come to him and it just give us every opportunity to turn around. But there comes a time when he lifts his hand of protection. And since we've been going after evil, he will let us have the evil and we will let us have all the consequences of that evil. 15, you will sow, but you will not reap. You will tread the olive, but you will not anoint yourself with oil and the grapes, but you will not drink wine. The statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab are observed and in their devices you walk. Therefore, I will give you up for destruction and your inhabitant for derision and you bear the reproach of my people. So again, he he was talking to the people at that time and, and you know, they, they were absolutely going to have foreign kingdoms just destroy them. Um, for you know Ahab and Omri, that those were people that went after foreign gods. Those were kings that were meant to steward the way of God that went after foreign gods. And he's saying, you've gone after these things. Well, you're going to reap the destruction that you've brought on yourself. But this is always true. So this has happened over and over again throughout history, that when the people of God turn away from him and his way, that he has to allow them to reap what they sow. He has to allow us to reap what we sow so that he can bring a remnant people out that is a pure holy people that live according to his way so that he can fulfill his purpose for all of creation that he intends to fulfill through mankind, through a people that will live for him. And then we're on to chapter 7. And then the first, uh, I don't know, six verses of the seventh chapter Micah is basically saying, woe is me. He's just saying, look at all the evil around. The people that are so... Well, that recording finally gave out, and I've started a new recording, but hopefully I can just add them together, and this will be seamless. And hopefully that last one worked, because it was a little odd. So in Micah 7, the first six verses, the 
Mike is saying, woe is me, I'm surrounded by evil. The, the prince, the judge, you know, the people who are supposed to be stewarding God's kingdom for him are all about evil. Everything, uh, everything, everyone, the rich and powerful are doing is for their own good. He's saying, you know, punishment is going to come. Do no, no one can trust their neighbor. The sons are against their fathers. Daughters rise up against their mothers. Um, a man's enemies are the men of his own household. He said there's evil everywhere in the hearts of people. The, the ways of fallen man have overcome everything. And what do we do? He's just he's struggling with the fact that God's promises are so amazing and the reality around him is so disgusting. Seven, he says, but as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O oh, my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. So this is really powerful. First of all, he says, I will wait on the Lord. You know, that's something incredibly powerful and incredibly difficult. It's so hard for the flesh to wait on the Lord, to not think that it is all about our scraping and clawing, but that we should simply wait on him. And he has faith here. You see, my God will hear me. And then he says, enemy, you, you evil forces that are against me, you might hurt me in the meantime, but I will rise. I might be surrounded by darkness right now, but the Lord is my light. He will raise me up and I will bear the indignation of the Lord. So whatever I have to go through, whatever fires, whatever difficulties I have to go through to be with the Lord, I will take it gladly and willingly because I know the Lord is sovereign over all. He will not give me more than I can bear and he will raise me up because I have sinned against him. He says, I, I know, I, you know, I'm looking at the sin around me, but hey, I've sinned too. So I'm fully aware that I've sinned against him. And I accept a lot of times because of our sin, we have consequences in this world because the sin is an invitation for the evil to attack us. We've, we've uh, often that's the case where we've uh, made agreement with the enemy and therefore he has legal right to attack us. And so we say, okay, I, this is just, but you know what? I trust in the Lord. I've been cleaned by him and, and all this will be for my own good. I will be strengthened through these things until he pleads, until Jesus pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me out to the light. He will bring me from darkness to light and I will see his righteousness to know the righteousness of the Lord have that righteousness put in us then my enemies will see and shame will cover her who said to me where is the lord your god my eyes will look at her at that time she will be trampled down like mire of the streets so the enemies will be overcome in the judgment and we the people who give ourselves to god to this process of being made holy and pure to his purpose for our lives will be raised up it will be a day for building your walls. On that day will your boundary be extended. So he's talking about the building of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is built and enhanced. This is the eternal kingdom. It will be a day when they will come to you from Assyria 
and the cities of Egypt. So we have people of the world streaming to the people of God, to the temple of God, from Egypt even to the Euphrates, even from the sea to sea and mountain to mountain, and the earth will become desolate because of her inhabitants on account of the fruit of their deeds. So the earth, the, the worldly way, the carnal fallen way, will become desolate because of their deeds. They're judged, but the people who stream out of her are, are received into Mount Zion, into the holy city Jerusalem. Shepherd your people with your scepter, the flock of your possession. So again, we're back to this shepherd and his people. Jesus is, is of course, the great shepherd. The many sons of God are, are called to be shepherds, to help bring these people into God's kingdom. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. So he's restoring the promised land. As in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt, I will show you miracles. So he's saying, again, I will bring you out of bondage. We've been slaves to Satan. We've been slaves to the kingdom of darkness. He's saying he's going to bring us out of this bondage, out of the slavery, into his promised land. And he will show us miracles. Nations will see and be ashamed of all their might. They will put their hand on their mouth. Their ears will be deaf. They will lick the dust like a serpent, like reptiles of the earth. They will come trembling out of their fortresses to the Lord our God. They will come in dread, and they will be afraid before you. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? So he's saying, <laughs> this is so powerful, but the people of God who've who've given everything to him and he has healed us by his stripes we are healed by his blood we are forgiven and by his very life we are raised up into a new people and who is this God who would pardon all the evil of our past life who all our rebellions he, he's, he's pardoned all these things he does not retain his anger forever because his, he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. This is the promise of God. This is the beautiful life that you and I are invited into and that we are to be raised up in so that we can invite others into. Thank you, Lord. Uh, that's the book of Micah. God bless you.